As you've seen, we are in stewardship season and looking at the different spheres in which we are called to steward the various gifts that God has given us. And today we are considering the stewardship of time. So as we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let's pray together. Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. We have gathered today around your word, and so we pray that these words might not just be words on a page, but that they would be your living word, sharper than a double-edged sword, convicting us of your presence with us and your call on our lives. So speak, Lord. Your people are listening. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. The Old Testament lesson comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Listen now for God's word to you. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you, to keep the Sabbath day. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our modern age, the glamorous lives that everyone else leads are often available to us on social media. We're more likely than ever to know when our distant relatives cooked an amazing meal, when our high school friends from 50 years ago travel abroad, or when our neighbors are being much better people than us because they volunteered at the nursing home. Everyone seems to be busy all the time, doing fun, adventurous things, or burning the midnight oil on an important project at work. Teens know who plays which sports and who gets cast in which play. Our busy lives, projected through the internet, give us plenty of opportunity for comparison and critique. 
And it hits most closer to home when we observe the lives of our immediate family and friends, which are also well publicized. We know when just a few of us gather to hang out, maybe for a day at the beach. We know who is involved on which boards and who fundraises for which causes and so on. The result of all of this is a sentiment that has come to be known as FOMO, an acronym that stands for the fear of missing out. It's that uncomfortable feeling you get when you suspect you're missing out on something fun or important. You may feel that someone else is getting ahead or gaining an advantage on you. Or you may just feel like someone else's life is graced with more glory and excitement than yours. Studies in FOMO are a relatively new area of inquiry, but early results of these studies suggest FOMO is linked to increased stress, fatigue, and sleep problems. In many ways, FOMO is a byproduct of the busy lives that many of us have come to lead in today's world. There's just so much to do every day and never enough time to participate in all the things going on around us. Our longing to be in two places at once is usually an indication that our lives are at max capacity. Our impatience on the road is usually an indication that we've tried to cram too much into our day. Our racing minds at night is usually an indication that we're trying to juggle too many balls at the same time. It seems true that the lifestyles many of us lead allow little time for leisure. Many of us are going, going, going from the moment our alarm clocks rouse us in the mornings to the second we turn off our lights at night. And it never quite seems to be enough, does it? As we consider the question of how we steward our time this morning, I think it's worth asking, do we have a fear of missing out on our time with God? Do we experience FOMO in our spiritual lives? And if not, why not? Perhaps it is that our spiritual lives are less glamorous than most of what we see going on in the world around us. Investing time in our faith doesn't yield many of the rewards we get accustomed to when we invest our time in other things. We don't get paid for spiritual growth, after all, and it's hard to put on our resumes. The spiritual life doesn't have a start and an end, so we can't put it on a to-do list and then cross it out with great satisfaction once we've finished. And spiritual maturity doesn't always progress in a straight line the way we like things to do. In fact, sometimes we seem to be moving backwards or spinning around in circles. So there's lots of reasons why we decide not to invest our time elsewhere. But in our scripture passage today, we see that God cares very much about the ways in which we use our time. And observing the Sabbath is the means by which we use our time to tend to our spiritual lives. The Sabbath refers to time set aside for the purpose of attuning ourselves to God's presence. The Sabbath is an invitation to recalibrate, to direct our attention away from the work of the rest of the week 
and look for God's presence in our lives and in the world around us. But given the pressures and the priorities of the world today, God's command to observe the Sabbath seems like one of the most difficult commands in all the scriptures, doesn't it? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. It's hard to observe the Sabbath and work for only six days a week when we had eight days worth of work to begin with, right? What does God expect of us in light of this injunction to observe the Sabbath? This is, after all, one of the Ten Commandments. It's not some obscure verse buried somewhere in Leviticus. It's up there with, do not steal and do not murder. Well, the problem is that oftentimes when God gives us a command in Scripture, humans respond by looking for loopholes. Instead of trusting that God's commands are there for our well-being, we often consider them to be annoyances that interfere with how we would like to otherwise live our lives. And so we look for ways around them. So it was in Jesus' day that detailed guidelines had formed that dictated what constituted work on the Sabbath and what was permissible. You could have a good sense of what was forbidden and what you could get away with. And as long as you didn't do what was forbidden, you were good to go. In our passage in Mark today, Jesus steps outside of those established guidelines. The Pharisees complained to him that his disciples had plucked grain while walking through the fields. This was one of the things that had been hammered out as something forbidden on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds by going back to the heart of the matter, as he so often does. And he recalls an incident in the Old Testament where David and his companions were hungry, and so David ate the bread that was otherwise only permitted for the priests to eat. And not only King David, but he distributed among his companions as well. Although the bread was supposed to be only for the priests, David breaks the letter of the law for the spirit of it, and the hunger of his companions outweighs the letter of that law. In other words, Jesus is saying that the laws are in place for human well-being. And in the case of the Sabbath, the disciples can pluck grain if they're hungry without jeopardizing the Sabbath call for rest. Because as we all know, when you're hungry, eating is a life-giving thing. When we think about Sabbath, it's tempting to turn it into one more item on our otherwise busy calendars. We decide ahead of time what counts as work and what counts as rest, and then we know whether we're good to go or not. But we don't want to go this route, setting up the Sabbath as another item on our long, busy checklist. If we see Sabbath rest as only contributing to our frantic lives, we'll fail to reap the benefits. But even if practicing Sabbath is an annoying interruption in our busy lives, it's an interruption that's good for us. That's how Jesus concludes his dispute with the Pharisees. He says the Sabbath is a gift. And he accuses them of turning it into a burden. The Sabbath was made for humankind, not vice versa, he says. The Sabbath is there for us as an invitation to reconnect with God. 
This is important because the ways in which each of us will practice the Sabbath will vary one from another depending on what happens in the other six days of our week. Each of us must consider what it takes to find the change of pace that we need to draw our attention anew toward God. For someone who works in a corporate office, volunteering at a nonprofit might function as Sabbath. For someone who works at a nonprofit, getting good exercise might function as Sabbath. For someone who works a physically demanding job, some quiet time alone might function as a Sabbath. For someone who lives alone and spends most of the week alone, preparing a Sunday brunch for family and friends might function as Sabbath. You see, however we practice Sabbath, the key is to turn our attention toward God. That's the key. And so although each of us will practice Sabbath in certain ways that are unique to us, the common thread that unites all of our Sabbath practice is the participation we have in the life of the church. Sabbath is not just an individual practice, but a corporate one as well. We practice Sabbath by ourselves, but we also practice it in community. And there are so many ways to practice Sabbath through the ministries of our church. I often hear youth talk about how Sunday evenings together are a deeply refreshing time of centering themselves before the school week resumes. At youth group, students can think about God, be themselves with one another, and laugh and cry together. But attending youth group requires a certain sacrifice of time, right? It requires a willingness to invest in something that doesn't earn them some kind of credit elsewhere. Two hours at church are two hours not spent studying for the next test or practicing lacrosse or the violin. In the otherwise competitive worlds of middle and high school, the Sabbath practice of going to youth group bears fruit in important ways that cannot be found elsewhere. Another great example is the prayer ministry of our quilting group. When they gather each week, they commit time to praying for our congregation, for people who are facing challenges, and expressing those prayers in the physical presence of a quilt. The recipients of the quilt can't quantify the prayers offered on their behalf, but they can feel the unquantifiable warmth of knowing they're surrounded by prayers like being wrapped in a quilt. You might also think of our service ministry at Schulzbacher, where our church consistently serves monthly meals to folks facing homelessness or food insecurity. Various groups in the church participate in this monthly practice, which helps us put our own challenges in perspective and remember the needs of our neighbors. This Sabbath practice takes our eyes off the, ourselves and the problems that consume us the other six days of the week and redirects our sights toward others. Here's the question for us to consider this week. Does your calendar reflect the presence of Sabbath rest in your life? Does the way you manage your time demonstrate that your spiritual life is a priority for you? And does your participation in the life of the church 
reflect a willingness to forego something else in another area of your life. You see, stewarding our time doesn't happen automatically and on its own, just like saving money doesn't happen on its own. Practicing the Sabbath is called a spiritual discipline for a reason, and like any discipline, it requires a certain amount of resolve on our part. We must be intentional about prayerfully considering where the 168 hours in our weeks are directed, just as we are careful about monitoring where our paychecks or our pensions are directed. Because time is, after all, a commodity of sorts, right? At least that's how we talk about it. We talk about spending time, wasting time, buying time. And just like our money, time is not infinite. And so how we use our time is important to God. And our use of time is an important matter of stewardship, one that is always in danger of being choked out by the busyness of the world in which we live, but also one that is always ripe with potential for growth in our lives of faith. So friends, our FOMO, our fear of missing out, leaves many of us with a struggle to say no to the many opportunities that come our way. And thus we end up with busy lives and so many commitments and obligations that even the things we thought we would enjoy somehow lose their delight. Our calendars don't always reflect the priorities we profess to hold. But the practice of Sabbath rest can be a balm for our restless souls. Participation in the worship and service of the church can bring our families together around a common mission, reconnect our souls with the one who sustains us, and can give us clarity of purpose and conviction as we go back into our otherwise busy weeks. So my prayer for us this season is that we would grow in our stewardship of time, and may we learn that sometimes saying no to one thing is really a way of saying yes to God. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.